podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Hello, and thank you for joining us here at the WhoCast, the Who's Place podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 17. I'm your host, Val Prohaska, joined, as always, by Who's Place founder and the producer of this show, Seattle Who. Welcome, Seattle. Hey, Val. Hello, everybody. It's just the two of us tonight, but I think we're going to have a really good show. Um, while the, the Super Bowl is, is going on, but neither one of us cares, so we are... <laughs> going to have much more fun talking about UVA hoops than watching what I guess is a blowout it was and I was down there we had to, you know my mom was watching it and I was down having dinner with with them and it was midway through the third quarter and the Buccaneers were scalping the Chiefs so Chiefs interesting yep. that there's no is there any kind of blowback over the Chiefs that name being racist like with the Redskins Waiting for it. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I, I think it will. I think it's you know it's just part of, uh, you know, DC sports history. Um, you know, Marshall being the you know very last guy to integrate, and just, just the general dickishness of Dan Snyder. Yeah. So you know anybody who and I'm I'm all for anybody who can take take that man down a notch. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, there's no there's no man better to and to there there's the no franchise. There's just no good faith argument that Redskins was not a racist term. I mean, about as derogatory Absolutely. as it gets. There's no it's just no good faith argument. I mean, some yeah. of the other I think some of the other nicknames you can make a good faith argument even though it it's wrong, you can you can make it, but not that one. <laughs> nope. Definitely not that one. That's the that's the very worst of them. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. glad it's gone and it's, I think it's dumb that they can't. They haven't come up with a new name for the team. But I've always hated that franchise because I was a Giants fan growing up. So I don't care. Yeah, I was a Cowboys fan, so I'm uh, uh, very happy to see them lose. But if, if if there's an owner that's almost as onerous as Danny Snyder, it's uh, <laughs> it's Jerry. So yeah, um, I, I can't. I'm really uh, happy that he's Dallas's owner because as long as he's there. They're never going to be. But of course, I'm not a, a football fan anymore. But that's just me as a Giants fan talking. I was always happy to have Dan Snyder and Jerry Jones in the in the division. I mean, the Mares—they're just incompetent. It's, they're an incompetent ownership family. But yeah, at least they're in one way they're kind of like Bennett in that they you know they are a good-hearted family and and they do um, they do things the right way and they take care of their people and and the community and stuff's important to them. But in terms of being football owners, they're just incompetent. So, well, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's, uh, that, you know, we'll, we'll focus back to, uh, Virginia, you know, right. ownerless Virginia. Um, one of the things I like watching about, uh, about sports, you know, college sports. Is yeah. We don't have owners, you know, yeah. so I don't have to, don't have to worry about that. So, Anyway, we start off uh, recapping our game on Saturday against Pitt, and it was an interesting game. Yeah, it was tighter I, than it should have been. I know that's a game. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a game that oh, I was very worried about. Those who who watched the Wahoo Wake Up, no, I was very worried about. It. I had several things that that um, I was concerned about. Um, one was the hero ball with Champagne and. And uh, Johnson, and you know, we saw some of that, especially Johnson, late like he did last year up there, where he kind of took over the game. Um, 
for a while. You know, and like I said, when he gets the ball in transition, he's going to the rim. It doesn't matter. He's going to the rim. And um, so I was worried about turnovers, and I was worried about the whistle. And uh, sure enough, you know, in that stretch where they they cut the lead, we saw the whistle. We saw some bogus whistles. I know you thought that the first charge call on Kihei was a good call. I thought it was terrible. I don't for, – for you know, Johnson, he was in the arc until the very last second. And just as Kihei was getting there, he moved his feet up out of the arc. So to me, if you're moving your feet out of the arc, you're not set. You're not there. You're not in it. You don't have an established legal guarding position. And he was in the process of establishing it off the arc when, when Kihei ran it. And Kihei didn't run in it. He kind of, you know, slid by and there was some contact. And I thought it was – Bad and the other one I thought was terrible and the two calls on Jay Huff I thought were atrocious, the one where Champagne oh, just, turned in, into him. You know Jay was there, yeah. and Champagne turned I mean, into it, him. It, yeah, I mean Huff, Huff's having trouble catching a break, and I think part of it is that he's so tall and lanky, he gets his hand down and they it, because he starts so high, mm-hmm. you know, and somebody puts the ball into his hand, they think his hand has come down. Yeah, and the man is the man is tall enough to block it, flat-footed, you know, with his hand straight up. Unlike you know anybody short of tackle fall or somebody. I mean, yeah. so he looks. They just look at him and think, well, it had to have been a foul because nobody could have could have blocked that without hitting him. And the fourth foul and, was that was a good hedge. That was a righteous hedge. That was he that was, was there. An awesome one. That was that was bullshit. The fifth foul was stupid. I was like, you know, Jay, what are you doing? There's two seconds left. Just let him get the layup. Yeah. And even even there, there wasn't much contact. I don't know why the ref blew the freaking whistle. What, is it going to be a seven-point play? Yeah. At some point, man. But whatever. I mean, um, you know, so the whistle, it was there. It's it's that, uh, you know, I'm trying to get some research going and, and – kind of putting together some thoughts on a piece about referee and fan biases. And there's a definite, I call it product management refereeing and that we saw a lot of that. And that's where the referees will, they'll kind of call the game to, to tighten it up, especially when it's a national television game. You know, if one team's starting to look like they're going to run away with it, the refs will, you know, call some things kind of favor the trailing team to, to tighten it up. And then you'll notice when uh, one of my pieces of evidence that they're doing in that is that when the game then gets close, you'll all of a sudden see it turn and you know, a couple fouls get called on the, on the team that was trailing. And we've seen that in a couple of our games lately, like the NC state game. And in this game, once it tightened up some, all of a sudden they called a few fouls on NC state and then on pit and they put us on the line um, because they, they had accomplished their mission of preserving some drama for the viewing audience. And that's one that... Um, so are you saying this is actually league-mandated or league-rewarded? It's league-rewarded. Of- it, it's, why, it's why referees like Roger Ayers get all the best games. Roger Ayers and Mike okay. Eads, you know, they were getting all the best games, and they were some couple of the biggest, biggest... Um, product management referees. It, you know, and I'll never forgive Ayers for that Villanova game. 
I will never, ever forget that, and I will never, ever forgive him for that. And I hope his kid stays in grad school at UVA forever until he retires. <laughs> right. But I don't, you know, I, that's, I, I hate, I scream at the refs enough during a game, I don't want to talk about it too much after. But I think it's, you know, I think it's something that, there is something there. I mean, referees, they have biases like everybody else, and they have interests like everybody else, and they know what gets them paid. They want to get paid, and they know, and, you know, they have preconceptions. And we all remember when uh, John Clockerty said that, you know, North Carolina doesn't foul, and they watch film, and they come into games looking for things, and they have ideas about teams, and, and you know, they're people, and there's... You know, and then there's there is corruption, some certain small percentage because it's a human endeavor, so, and there's corruption in all human endeavors. So uh, you know, I don't, I have no information. I'm not going to say any particular ref, any particular game. I, you know, is is corruption, but I know it's a factor that's out there, that's baked in. But mm-hmm. you know, so refereeing's always going to be always going to be an issue which is why that's like the foundation of my opposition to instant replay review you know you're not going you will never get rid of these problems and instant replay doesn't get rid of them all it does is lengthen the game and all it does is undercut the tolerance of people of stakeholders in the game for referee error well, we can go to instant replay and make it perfect. So you don't talk. It used to be, look, refereeing is part of the game. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to make calls against you. You know, you just play through it. You go on. At the end of the game, you forget about it. And, and those people who continue to talk about it were just bad sports. But I think that's been undercut now. There's more of an expectation and a demand for perfection in refereeing. And so is there any less controversy over refereeing now than there was back in the early 80s? <laughs> um, no, I mean, there, there are, there are certain blown calls that have been, that have been corrected. Um, you know, and but answer I think, my question. Yeah, I think there's less because. All right. Well, there's, agree to disagree. We, we just, well, okay. But it's, it's, you know, you look at, you look at some of them, you know, you look at some of the calls that are just clearly not that have, that have been, that have been missed. And a lot of them get corrected, and I'll, I'll take that. Now, the issue, your point stands, you know, that we now have a different level of expectation. Um, it's especially onerous in, in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, you have way more take, people. I do, one of the announcers, usually when announcers start talking about um, things with the game, like Corey was going off about six fouls. Come on, just shut the fuck up. No, no six well, that, fouls. That's no. very true. No, that no. was that was awful. So for those, if anybody missed the game, he was complaining that who was it that had to sit after the fouled out? Was it Maybe Caleb Kate Love? Cunningham? I don't know. Some, some star, some star was in foul and trouble. Yeah, and he's saying he ought to get six fouls. And it's like you know the pros have six fouls, but they play forty eight minutes. I was right. waiting him for for him to say that. You know they they play uh they play a twenty percent longer game. The Big East so went to six the, fouls the back in the early nineties and they scrapped it after a couple of years because it was a disaster. Yeah. No, it's it's not good. And this and another announcer that I heard started going off on the Dickie V argument about the jump ball. 
Mm-hmm. You know, look, let me t- people look. All right, let's make an example to, to show this. Kihei Clark ties up Juwan Durham. Yeah. All right. There's a jump ball. Dickie V got his way. They changed the rule. There's a jump ball. Kihei made a great play to tie up Durham late in the game. Juwan Durham's going to win that tip. And UVA gets sure. nothing for Kihei's great play. Mm-hmm. Now, same play happens under the current rule. Notre Dame has the arrow. Kihei ties up Durham. There's two minutes left. Notre Dame keeps the ball, but the arrow switches. UVA got right. something. We didn't get the ball, but we got the arrow. Minute and a half later, 30 seconds left in the game. It's a two-point game. They have the ball. Kihei comes in. He ties up their guard again in the backcourt. We get the ball. Yep. So, you know, in, in, in essence, you were rewarded for that play. You were rewarded and, for and that play. And I agree play. with that completely. Whether you got the ball or not, you got rewarded for that play. And yep. it, when I hear that, it drives you know, me nuts. When I hear that argument, it yeah. drives me absolutely nuts because it's idiotic. But anyway, but. And apparently, most refs don't like performing a jump ball. No, they don't. I mean, they they find it a a physically difficult thing to do. And I've known too many refs who are too good at this Mm -hmm. to to complain. They they all complain about it. So it must be hard. They have to get it up to a certain height. Yeah, and that's difficult. And it has to go straight up. It has to be up Mm -hmm. to a certain height because you're not supposed to get it on the way up. You're supposed to get it at its peak or on the way down. And most of the guys get it on the way up. But the refs, they don't call that because they don't care. Because like you said, they... They don't want to be bothered with it. They throw it up there, mm-hmm. and unless it's egregious, they just let it go. Yeah. And it and you know because the other team's going to get the ball to st- you know they get the arrow. The other team gets the arrow, so who cares? And that's it. But my point yeah. that started me off on this digression was this one announcer. They were doing a replay review, and he's like, "Couldn't they have a timer?" on there that when the timer goes off, the video just shuts down and then the referees make their decision. <laughs> I was like, "This what a yeah. great idea. I don't understand why mm-hmm. they don't have, it's supposed to be indisputable evidence. Why don't they just have a time limit? If you can't, if you look at it three times from three angles and you can't figure it out, just let the call stand. Well, you know, and, and that's the point you made, you know, last year, you know, in the, in the championship game against, uh, against Texas, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was the it was the same thing. It was the ball that went out. The Moretti you know, Infinity. Yeah, and you're right. They looked at it for t- far too long, and it's a fingertip. And if you can't do it, you just you just got to go with what you got. You go with what you call. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I I would agree with that completely. That that makes a lot of sense. And that would mollify me a lot. I do like that in the last two minutes they can go look and see, you know, who it went out on and get it right. Even though I think, you know, it's great. Just don't yeah. take forever. You know, do it quickly. And, mm-hmm. and, and to me, that, you know, that approach, that supports the referees. Right. You know, it's like, look, unless there's a clear error, we're going to stick with our referees because they're good at their job. And most of them are right. good at their job. And they're really good usually at those – at seeing it. And they do have a much better view down there on the floor of who the ball went off of than, right. than on TV. It's, if you've ever been down there, it's, it's indisputable. They have a much better view. But you know, refereeing they didn't it didn't play any role in the outcome. I disagree that the game was closer than it should have been. I think that was a close game. I think Pitt's a very good team. They have very good players. 
And I, I thought they played well. I thought um, at c- critical moments of the game, we just played a little bit better. And I thought a lot of our stupidity, would, we need to give them credit for the pressure that they put on us and the energy that they came with. They came into that game with great energy and great intensity they did. and focus. You know, it took us a while to get rolling. I, you know, when Thomas rolled the tents, I came in and hit those two threes in the first half. I thought that was crucial. Well, it's um, I, I've come to the, my personal conclusion at this point is that maybe Waldo's going to be the most important player we got in terms of determining what our ceiling is. Um, you know, he simply he can do that, and Marcel hasn't shown that he can do that. And you yeah, know, Casey was bad again. Well, yeah, but it's I, I think figuring out how to get energized Wolf Tensai is going to be Bennett's biggest task because it wasn't just that he hit threes; he was running hard around screens, <laughs> and when he got the ball up at the top of the key, he was forcing the ball. He had that lovely assist to, to Kihei. Um, you know, he, that he was a great play. catch by Kihei. It was. It was a good it, look by Waldo. It was a bad pass, and that was a great catch by Kihei because that was a turnover. Yeah, but he was still looking. He was still making the right. You know, he, he made was, the right read. It was know? the right he, read. He, yes, he, he created the angle, and and it should have been better. But nevertheless, he did that. And you know, in the last couple of games, we've seen what I'll call lazy Wolda Tensai. And, you know, he hasn't played as much. But Wolda Tensai can do this. He can very definitely come in and, and hit the three. He knows that he's looking for his shot. He knows that's what his role is. And he can do that. He can very easily go four for six from three. He's done it a couple of times this season. Mm-hmm. We knew it last year. He's the guy who can who can provide instant offense from the guard spot. I still think he can only do it when he's not a focal point of the scouting report though. Well, sure, I, I, the focal I point just of think, the, of I don't think he's got, it's going to be Sam Hauser. Yeah. I don't think he's you know, got the and, athleticism and the, just uh, the level of, of ability to, to sure. beat. He's not, I mean, it's, good it's defense. our bigs that you have to focus on, right? you know, and they're all big. They can all shoot, which means you have to work just that much harder to close out, you know, Hauser, to close out Murphy. Mm-hmm. So he's not ever going to be the focal point of the scouting report. He is the He's the fourth banana. And if he's the fourth banana and he's on, then he can break games open because he did the same thing in the second half. Did a pair back-to-back, and that mm-hmm. first one just felt huge. You know, they were crawling back, and it just seemed like they were ready to get on a run. We had about mm-hmm. five, you know, five trips down the floor with nothing. And then he hits the three, and then two plays later, he comes down and hits the next three. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're back up to a 17-point lead. And, of course, there were issues at that point. But he's the guy who extended that, you know, who, who built that lead to be able to say, now they have to fight hard just to get back in the game. And it's really hard to fight that hard and then carry it through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he so kind of like temporarily that. blunted their momentum there because they, you know, they had been coming back. They had cut it from sixteen, I think, down to nine or something at one point, and he pushed it back up to seventeen, and that was big. Yeah. It was, you know, yeah. 
Um, well, I mean, I, I think whatever it's going to take, and I don't know if it's, yeah, I don't know if, unfor- unfortunately, you know, maybe it's him, you know, Bennett can only motivate him by giving his minutes to Morsell, which then means Morsell gets yanked around. But he's got to figure out a way to get, you know, Wolbo running off the screens hard, hunting his shot, and then I'm very comfortable with him letting it, letting it fly four to six times a game. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the other thing I've noticed is that he, he knows this. Each of the last four games he's been in, he's taken his first shot within 30 seconds of, 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 of offensive play on the court. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knows what he's there for. He's looking for it. And I want him doing that. And if he can, you know, nail a couple of threes when, you know, considering that our other guards can't, I mean, Kihei can't, Beekman can't, Morsell's never been able to, but, you know, Morsell was making some improvement this year. I think I think it's going to be Wolba Tensai is, the, is, is the, going to determine our ceiling. Mm-hmm. I think Beekman's hit his last two, hasn't he? Mm, He's, no, he missed. He just doesn't take many. Well, he doesn't. I mean, he's got a slow release as well. There's a weird little hitch to it. I mean, but what, what's happening is is teams are now, you know, trying to run off, you know, Hauser and Murphy off the three-point line, and they're letting Clark and Beekman just, mm-hmm. they're just letting them go. All right, so Beekman took two shots. He took yeah. two threes. It was one for two. Yeah, Kihei's shot is just off this year. Yeah. He's just, he's just a little off. So, you know, I think well, the ten size. The I think he's the key. The other, the other key that 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 I noted in in my plus minus was, you know, we we've seen Hauser and and Murphy get better on on ball defense, and you know, twice the you know there was about four out of maybe ten plays down the down the court that uh, Pitt went down to Champagny in the post. You know, he was one on one against Hauser. Hauser stood him up the first two times he did it, and he had to pass out of it. And the last two times he did it, you know, he got shots off, but one was maybe okay, but the other one is like it was a true prayer. You know, he was just trying to throw anything up because he was getting desperate down in the post. And, and I was very impressed to see Hauser, you know, pretty much win those battles uh, against Champagne. I yeah, mean, it was Champagne good. Was still there. It was good. I, I thought that they helped Hauser. Pitt sure. helped Hauser by having Champagne try to post him up and back him down because that's not the way Justin Champagne's going to beat Sam Hauser. Hauser is two inches taller and a little bit heavier. And, uh, you know, I'm a synergy sports freak. And I noted in Hauser's scouting report, you know, at Marquette, he was. He had a very high rating on post defense, so right. you know, so he 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 can do that. Champagne's going to beat Hauser with movement by getting him sure. in space and moving him, and and you know that. So when they had when they had him posting up, I, I thought that was a tactical error on Pitt's part, and and Hauser did the job. He definitely did the job. He he you know he he played the defense very well, and then. Um, you know, I, the other thing that I thought was fascinating was when we did the post double on Champagne. He very clearly was prepared for passing out of the double team, I and mean, he knew what he was going to do. He was going to 
you know, back out and turn and fire the ball cross court to the weak side. And the first two times he did that, they got an open shot. And then he tried it again, and we picked the ball off because by the time we had made the adjustment, like we were talking mm-hmm. about before, they did something. Tony makes an adjustment, takes it away. Do you have something you can fall back on? Another move. They didn't have another move. Well, you know, that helps that, you know, Champagne's still relatively young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's face it, there's only so many things you're going to be able to teach the guy. Right. You know, you're the guy that we want shooting the ball, and there's only so many ways you're going to be able to teach him how to get rid of the ball, <laughs> you know. but uh, Yeah, he's great running the baseline. He's great, you know, spotting up in the corner and making plays off of that. He's great moving around and, and using his instincts, he's, you know, posting them up. That's that's not the best use of the guy, but he's right. he's you know such a great player and he still had his double double, strong rebounder. Sure. And, um, he didn't. He's a guy who, when I've watched him in the past, he's had a couple signature defensive plays that were impactful, and he didn't have any of those in this game. There wasn't that big block shot or that big steal or, or anything. By and large, you know, they didn't really get a lot in transition, at least until that last run that they made. And that right. was fueled mostly by our turnovers. And, you know, when it happened, it happened at about the seven-minute mark. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm really thinking that six-seven-minute six, that six, mark in the second half is the witching hour. Yeah. <laughs> because we, we talked about it on, on Wahoo Wake Up, and sure enough, that's, when they started chipping away and, mm-hmm. and made it, you know, made it a game. And it, 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 we should have, you know, as a fan, I wanted us to be able to coast a little bit. Right. You know, so that was more exciting than I wanted. You know, like the Chinese curse, you know, may you live in interesting times. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want this to be interesting, you know. <laughs> I'm on vacation here. I, I I don't want an interesting, you know, denouement to this game. So Yeah, Pitt showed... They showed no quit, and they put the pressure on. And once again, you know, we, all season long, several games now, you know, the other team has really ramped up the pressure late. And we've we've been shaky, but we haven't been bad. We've looked bad, but when you actually go back and you look at the productivity, you see that we weren't that bad. We actually, you know, we held up. And and again, we did that again. Now, we had some blunders. You know, to me, I two of my biggest yelling at the TV moments were when when Huff and Hauser you know, were dribbling the ball up and, and did their blunder. You know, Jay, do-dee-do-dee-doo, I'm just dribbling the ball up like there's no, there's nobody, there couldn't be anybody behind me. It's like, dude, yeah. I, that's just dumb. And then Hauser, he's doing okay, and he decides to dribble between his legs. And, you know, you're you're a 6'8", six, 6'9", six, power forward, being guarded by a guard. You don't get fancy and try to dribble between your legs. That, that result was so completely predictable. I, and these are two fifth-year seniors who absolutely should know better, just boneheaded brain farts late in the game and it was four points for Pitt yeah. right there and that was they, they were and uh, you know it's um, I, I don't know I mean I, I know why Huff 
I mean, Hoff started dribbling, and, and, you know, there were players, and he probably thought it was clear. But, you know, Hauser was being – there had been lots of time for Hauser to give up the ball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, neither Beekman nor Clark made really strong moves to go, you know, make themselves available. Right, and that, that is you the know, other Beekman factor. Was that, Beekman had gotten stationary over, you know, by the – you know, on his uh, – you know, out on the wing, outside the arc, and – Clark was just kind of watching him. And mm-hmm. one of those two should have been showing for the ball hard to get the ball out of, you know, your number four's hands. Well, the problem was it happened like that happened right at the, at the timeline where it's very difficult for the teammates to come help because then you have to, you know, you can create an over and back situation. Sure. And you're running out of time to too. But yeah, right. Before you know, that, it, you know, it's 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 not like we're it's not like we're trying to fast break. You know? But the thing is, if, and, if, and we're pushing it up, if Sam just keeps going the way he was going, he gets across the timeline just fine. I, I don't. The decision to go between the legs, it's like he just wanted to get fancy. Or I, it made no. It was in, unnecessary. It it made no sense to me. Oh, it was beyond unnecessary. It was just it was just stupid from a guy that we're not expecting stupidity from. But, you know, we could have been punished. And, you know, <laughs> hopefully Bennett's all over him on this. <laughs> like, okay, you had your really stupid brain fart, you know, in slow motion. Yeah, and, he, you know, we all, I don't think anybody's going to need to say anything to him on that one. He, he knows. And, you know, yeah. the dude had a sensational game eight for nine from the floor, 23 points. And I was very happy to see him hit all of his free throws because Sam Hauser is a 90% career free throw shooter who's been a 70% free throw shooter this year, which is completely unacceptable. And he's missed some big ones. And he stepped up Saturday and calmly drilled all of his free throws. So that was that was great to see. And that, to me, was as important as the shots from the floor. Well... I've always felt that way about free throws. I mean, I do not understand players who are 60 or 70% free throws shooting because, I mean, I suck, but I, I could probably still go out there and hit 80% of my free throws. I mean, it's just, it's just, you're giving away free points. And, and it's just, you can't overcome it. NC State had the same problem, you know, when they tightened up and then Funderburk, who's a really great free throw shooter, Mm-hmm. For a big man, you know, miss both of his. And it's like you just, especially if you miss that front end of a one and one you're not just giving up a point, you're giving up two. Well, yeah, and, and it's important and it's high pressure and, uh, you know, that, that you have, there are very specific mental abilities that are involved in, you know, keeping good focus in that situation. Uh, you know, one thing I used to tell my players was, when you're up there in a situation, don't think about what this means. Don't think about, you know, man, I got to hit this. I, I got to hit this. I'm going to get... Get into your technique. Focus on all the steps of your technique. All right. I step up to the line, bounce the ball three times, get a good grip, get my elbow right. And if you focus on what you need to do instead of thinking about how important it is, your your mind's going to be much better. Sure. I mean, that's for any that's for any pressure situation where you're able to you know concentrate on your form, mm-hmm. whether it's you know putting on the green, whether penalty it's kicks, a, a penalty kick in mm-hmm. soccer, 
you know, an extra point in football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that, that's that's the approach, you know, that you use. It's hard um, to do. I mean, well, you know, because we're human, you know, mm-hmm. and we do know what the moment means, and you know, we do know what the score is. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because if so, it was if it was that easy to hit eighty percent of your free throws, all of these guys would do it. So clearly, it's not. Right. You and know, you or I, on, you you might hit eighty percent of your free throws, but if you got out sure, there sure, in I've JPJ never. in the last four minutes of the game, you ain't hitting eighty percent of your free throws there, dude. <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was never that tired because I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was about a ninety percent free throw shooter in, in in high school, but you know, I I I can also tell you, I never played thirty minutes of a game. Right. <laughs> I played four minutes of a game, so I was always fresh. You know, <laughs> uh, I was never had sweat running down my eyes when I set free throws. So, so you hit nine of your ten free throws in your high school career. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. That's that's what I live for. I, I I live for boxing out somebody to go over the back in the bonus and. I, you know, trudge on up and, you know, hit my free throws. Mm-hmm. That was, that was my role, you know, as a, as a, as a white center who can't jump. That's you know? right. So, I, 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 <laughs> I knew what my job was, but, um, but anyway, so, so Pitt was, you know, it, it, it was, it was good to win that game. You know, at that point, Pitt had been, you know, a high flying team, but we've got, <laughs> As you've noted, or you know, or or are about to note, we've had a rel- still had a had a relatively easy schedule. You know, Louisville was paused on us, and you know, heretofore it, we we've still played most of the bottom, and you know, we lost to you know NC, you know, we lost to Virginia Tech, <laughs> we lost to Gonzaga, and most of the other teams that we've beaten aren't going to be figuring you know for postseason play. Yeah, and we have so far this change. season, based on Ken Palm rankings, which I think I, don't, I have some issues with them this year, but we're going to use them as a point of reference. We have only played two teams in the top 40 of the Ken Palm rankings this season, and both of them handed us our asses. Right. We have only beaten one team in the top 50, and that was Clemson at number 47. Right. The other teams, you know, then there's number 54, Syracuse, number 55, Georgia Tech, number 61, Notre Dame, you know, so. Notre Dame is 61? Notre Dame is 61 because Notre Dame, they up until, they had won four of their last five games. Okay. And they had won four of their last five games by double digits. They beat Boston College by 10. They beat Miami on the road by 14. They beat Pitt by like 26 on the road. 26, that's right. We, we talked about that. Yeah, they did beat Yeah, them by and they beat Wake Forest by 21. Their one loss was to Virginia Tech, who, you know, is a good team. A very good team. Ooh. So Notre Dame, and this was all after their second loss to us. So they had actually been on a roll, and they, they played their way all the way up to number 61. 51. All right. Okay. So, you know, we've, I wouldn't say we've only played the bottom of the conference. What I would say is we haven't played the top. Well, other than Virginia Tech. Well, that's, 
Um, we have well, played. You know that that's about to change, right? Yeah, we've played. Uh, we're number one, so we've played number three, number six, number seven, number nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen, and fifteen. So we haven't played number two, and we haven't played number four and number five, and we haven't played uh, whatever Duke is, eight, Miami, nine. Whatever Miami is. And then Miami is 13. Yeah. So we just – what we haven't played are the top four offensive rebounding teams in the conference. And that – some I wrote about it today because, you know, Pitt, they're number, uh, number five in the conference – Offensive rebounding at 31.7% of their misses. And, um, you know, they got 14 offensive rebounds on Saturday, which comes out to, um, I forget, like 37.5%. So they rebounded above their season average against us. And it contributed to their, um, sorry, I'm having a distracting event here. Um, and it's a very, very conscious, deliberate, distracting event. But um, anyway, their um, their offensive rebounds, you know, they contributed to that comeback. Now, maybe not as much as you might think because, you know, they have four offensive rebounds on one possession, and that one possession resulted in a pair of free throws. And then they had several of their other offensive rebounds in the second half didn't didn't produce any points, so they didn't really affect you know the outcome at all. They really only got four points in that comeback off of offensive rebounds. But anyway, you give up 14 offensive rebounds, you know you don't want that to happen. And what I found with looking at the season is that we are number one in the conference at offensive rebounding defense. We're only allowing teams to rebound 20% of their misses. That's one out of five, which is the lowest rate of the peak Bennett era. The lowest rate we've had before this was 23.1%. So we this is actually the best defensive rebounding team that Tony Bennett has had, if you just look at that statistic. And if you look at the fact that we have two guys that are over 20% uh, defensive rebounders, it matches up, it bears up. Right. But what's interesting in that is that we've played five of the top nine offensive rebounding teams, basically all but the top four. And three of those five teams out-rebounded their season average against us. So we're stonewalling the bottom offensive rebounding teams while getting beat by the better ones. But the thing is, it's not impacting us in the one loss record. Right. Because the one team that beat us is one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the league, and they only got four offensive rebounds. So it's not, so the fact that we have, you know, we play Georgia Tech on Wednesday. They're not an offensive rebounding team at all. They're number 14. After that, we have UNC, who's number one. Florida mm-hmm. State is number two. Duke is number three. And then NC State is number six, who, of course, we played before. Um, and I have their what they did to us in, the, in my spreadsheet and all that. But uh, So, you know, I know Tony 
is big on not allowing offensive rebounds. It's and it's been a foundation of our system all along. But you know, in the history of our it's matchup, gonna get, it's going to get it's going to get tested coming up. It's going to get tested. But I, you know, at, look as a coach. If you're looking at it as a coach, you know, obviously you want to have your team do better on the defensive boards. You don't want to be giving up offensive rebounds. As a prognosticator, as an analyst, trying to look at what's going to happen, I think it's important for us not to overestimate, to overemphasize the offensive rebounding because it doesn't necessarily have as much of an impact on the outcome as you might think. I looked at our history against Carolina, who's been who's the number one offensive rebounding program in the conference. Most years they're number one. If they're not number one, they're number two. And they have, by and large, their their offensive rebounding success against us has had minimal impact on the outcomes of the games. They've they have done a good job offensive rebounding in games that they've lost, and they've done a poor job of offensive rebounding in games that they've won. There's really, there's like one or two games, or maybe out of the 11 that we've played, where you can look at and say, okay, maybe there our defensive rebounding was, inst- was, was primary in us winning the game. So it's not like, you know, if we give up 40% of, to to Carolina, we're going to lose. No. If we give up 40% to Carolina, it's going to be more difficult for us to win. But if we keep them below 30% on three-point shots and we play reasonable offense, we're probably going to win that game even if they rebound 40% of their misses. We're going to get to put your theorem into uh, into play. So that was a timely (laughs) – Timely idea, you know, for you to investigate. Yeah, I mean that's that's why because I knew we had these teams coming up, and I, I knew Pitt had. I, you know, we've had a couple games lately where we've given up a lot of offensive rebounds, and so I, I knew it was going to be a concern. I was like, let me go see. I actually wasn't. I, I didn't go in this when I started to work on the article. My thesis for the article was, hey, we have this problem and this big thing to worry about. We are not doing well with our defensive boards, and we have all these powerful offensive rebounding teams coming up. We got to watch out for this. And then I went in, I started looking at the numbers, and I kind of came away from thinking, kind of the opposite. Oh, okay, not really anything to worry about. <laughs> so it was a, to me, it was a surprising result in looking at the numbers. But before we get to the offensive rebounding teams, we have Georgia Tech coming up on Wednesday, and that should be a really fun game. It's another one that I'm very concerned about. I don't care where the teams are on the table. We always have crazy experiences down there in Atlanta. We've historically have had some you know, weird losses, some bad losses there. They just had an amazing comeback against Notre Dame on Saturday, a game that I watched the first half of where Notre Dame jumped out to a 15-point lead. And... Uh, didn't look like they could miss. Georgia Tech wasn't doing that great. And, you know, I I come this morning to look and see what happened, and I find out that Georgia Tech won that game. So yep. they came back from 15 points down at half and won that game, and now they're 5-4 and four in the conference. They're, what, number one, two, three, four, five. They're sixth 
in sixth place in the conference. And Duke is number eight. Well, we we just had a game with them. We we know what they can do. Um, they got a, a scrappy backcourt, and Moses Wright is is a low down low, mm-hmm. and you know it. This will be. You know, this is the reason, you know, you have home and away series. You know, it's we beat Georgia Tech at our place, and now they get their fair ups at their place. Yep. So they're going to be primed. I mean, it's revenge. They didn't have to travel. And, you know, as you as you pointed out to me uh, in a text, you know, home teams uh, in this pandemic season are winning at about a 70% clip. And... Uh, yeah, in eighteen years. years. Yeah, it was somebody. One of the announcers in one of the games that I watched said that. And you know, you and I have been talking about this thing for weeks now. So I, when I heard that number, I thought that was great because that's something that has been on my mind. And I got an answer from Ken Pomeroy on something else. I, it seemed to me that we were seeing a lot more blowouts this year than usual, not just in the conference, but like all over. We blow you out this game and the next game you're going and you're blowing out somebody else and then that person's blowing us out the next time like everybody's blowing everybody out that's what it seems like uh ken said that basically it's like the number of blowouts this year is like one percent higher than it was last year and last year was really? outlier okay. low so actually and historically there are no more blowouts than than there are in a normal year it just i don't okay. know it seems like it i guess Right. Maybe it, okay, maybe so they're more randomly distributed than they usually are. Fire, so okay. Maybe it's maybe that's it. Maybe in a normal year, it's usually the same teams are blowing other teams out, and the same teams are getting blown out a lot. Whereas this year, it's more randomly distributed. That could be. That could be, which would I mean, make it feel I mean, to us. Certainly, some of the powers are are, are certainly hurting. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Kentucky's woes are well documented, but. Kansas doesn't look like a blue bud, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, we were talking, you know, on the Wahoo Wake Up, we were talking about, you know, the travails of the of the um, Tar Heels and the and the Blue Devils, and you know, those are teams that are used to providing a lot of wallopings to weaker teams, and they're all really struggling. Mm-hmm. So those teams aren't those teams aren't providing the shellackings that you know that that they used to. So you're right. Maybe it is just it is slightly random, or more random than than, than normal. So, and like uh, our games, so maybe this is yeah. We've lost three games, and two of them we've gotten blown out. And then, you know, a lot of our wins have been blowouts. I do not expect a blowout Wednesday night. No, I I, I wouldn't either. Mike you know, DeVoe was. He was in a slump, but he seems to have broken out on it because he scored 19 points against Notre Dame, including the game winner. Yeah. But, I mean, he was on my preseason, uh, you know, all-ACC team. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, he's certainly capable, and I was expecting more from him, certainly than we saw, uh, you know, when, when they came up to the JPJ. So, uh, you know, he's a very, very capable ball player. I and mean, we've already lauded. Uh, you know, Alvarado to the point where I don't really want to uh, turn this into a, a love fest for, for a Georgia Tech player. <laughs> yes, you know, but, Alvarado you know, had a poor start to that game. Missed a couple of shots. He ended up 
19 points, an 8 of 12 from the floor, 3 out of 4 from the line, um, the three-point line. Yes. Six rebounds, five assists, six steals, six steals, wow. one turnover. Yeah. And then DeVoe, 19, seven for nine from the floor, three for four from the arc, two rebounds, two assists, a steal, one turnover. And then Jordan Usher had 16 points. Moses Wright had 12. They shot 50% from the arc. Overcame a great game by Nate Lashevsky, who had 27 points. 11 for 13 from the floor. Holy cow. Juwan yeah. Durham, 8 for 9. You know, Juwan Durham is a player that I kind of slandered earlier this year. You know, earlier seasons, he wasn't much of a scorer. But he has actually consistently been scoring a lot of points this year. Not just It's not just that we defended him poorly and so he scored points. No, he's a, he's a bona fide scoring big man this year. And if you don't guard him well, he's going to put up 18, 20 points on you. Eight for yeah. nine from the floor against Georgia Tech. So Eight that must for have... nine, and you said Lashevsky was 11 for 13? Yeah. Wow. At one point, like in the for... first half, Notre Dame had hit 70% of their shots. Notre Dame was doing to Georgia Tech what Georgia Tech had done to Clemson. You know, where right. Clemson are in the first half, they were they were scoring well and and everything, but Georgia Tech was just wouldn't miss. And eventually... Clemson couldn't keep up and got blown out. In this one, Georgia Tech, I, I just like that team this year. I I enjoy watching them. I've watched a bunch of their games. I, I'm looking forward to Wednesday night, um, even though I expect it's going to be a lot closer and, and more gut-wrenching than we want it to be. Well, sure, as fans. <laughs> yeah. So who do you think is the most uh, – so who are your who's to watch for this game? My my who's to watch for this game? I, you know, it's kind of the same ones. Um, and in terms of, I mean, things to watch, I think we need to kind of let Kihei and Beekman take turns on Alvarado one-on-one, let him get his, let Jay and, you know, hopefully Caden, because... Tony said the other night, last night, that Caden Shedrick is now available. So maybe Caden can play a few minutes and, you know, let Jay and Shedrick deal with Moses Wright and him get whatever he's going to get against those guys and really concentrate on not letting Usher and DeVoe and Parham go off on you. Because Moses Wright and Jose Alvarado by themselves aren't going to be able to generate enough offense to beat us. They can keep it close. They can scare us. But it takes more than two guys. Right. And the other guys are shut downable if, you know, you really pay attention to them. I think they thrive on inattention. And we're going to have to, again, pick people up early. Get back. Get organized. Not just get back, but get organized and get the right matchups and everyone has to be aware because this is a team. They'll go early if they get a someone with you know you're not paying attention to. He'll go, mm-hmm. and that's where Usher and, thrives. You know, the, the, and there is the confidence factor. I mean, coming back big against the against Notre Dame. You know, and that I don't. Uh, I was ready to say you know that Notre Dame was not good, but mm-hmm. 
doesn't matter if you're down by 15 and a half and you come back. That's an emotional win that you know that you carry with you uh, for. And a while. heck, they feel like they should so, beat us the first time. Sure, they did. So, so they'll have a lot of confidence, and they're going to be at home. Yeah. So we just need to dial maybe our energy a little higher. <laughs> I mean, all of our guys seem to play maybe with a little bit more of a saunter than than, than true energy. We've been out energized by 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 a number of teams um you know tech came out played with more energy and you know you could see at times you know just you know against Pitt, they came out energized um you know Pitt was maybe it was the hero ball thing maybe it was just xavier johnson but you know johnson came out of halftime <laughs> um i mean cable said something to him or, or whatever earworm he put into him mm-hmm. um Johnson came out, and maybe it was that hero ball mentality because um, he couldn't keep it up. But for those first three or four minutes, he was looking like, you know, he, he was a different player than he had been in the first half. And it seems like we've had a number of teams that have come out and just seemed to play harder than we did. And we talked about in the Wahoo Wake Up, talking about the, um, the, the, the plays that Trey Murphy had made, um, you know, earlier. Um, yeah, but, you know, I didn't know at the time. I didn't know until during the telecast that that Tony had told the team that they weren't being tough enough and that they need to toughen up. And okay, and yeah, he had well, he had gotten on him for the same thing. And Murphy had responded that he didn't want anybody saying that he wasn't being tough enough since, and so he was motivated. And I thought he again was the one player. Who seemed the most willing to get on the floor and really get after the ball? Right. Um, so yeah, I think I. You know, Jay has seemed a little more happy-go-lucky this year. I haven't been as much of his, you know, barbarian yawps as we saw in the past. Sam is kind of a laid-back guy. There is there isn't a. Uh, Ty Jerome. He's not an overly demonstrative player on the team. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, Kia certainly plays hard every single time, but, you know, no, nobody is, nobody is running around yelling, barking, you know, woofing at our players <laughs> to, to get them in shape, you know, that I can see easily, you know, on the telecast. And it's, you know, not something I'm particularly looking for. But, you know, it becomes a, and maybe it's because, you know, Beekman, Hauser, Murphy are still, you know, they're all aware that they're, you know, basically newcomers to this team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hauser's, I mean, Huff's quiet by nature. Uh, so it, there's maybe not a lot of overt vocal leadership on this team. You know, that, 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 that you might have had in, in previous years, certainly when Ty Jerome was running the show. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's just you know, that's just personality. I mean, players are players are going to be who they are, and you don't have to be yelling and barking and pointing at people to, to play hard and, and sold out and committed one hundred and ten percent. But sometimes it's nice to have those guys. Yeah, I, they. I think they all play hard. I just think sometimes there isn't that um, urgency, that <clears throat> desperation. That, 
determination. Well, there I'm, certainly wasn't. You I'm know, going to win every battle. You know, I'm going to win this. I'm going to win this ball. This ball belongs to me. You know, right. and it, there's like a, an aggression, and it's often a problem. It's often an issue with UVA. That's one of the things about having a team made up of nice guys. You know, they're they're not as naturally <laughs> you know, hard edged, aggressive as you know as having some jerks on the team. We have to generate your aggression you know. other ways. It's one reason we don't get to the free throw line. We're we don't play with the physical aggression when we're driving to the lane. We're, we're trying to avoid contact and and you know get a nice shot. Other teams they're trying to go through you. They're going for the contact. Right. So. And so we do tend to let the other team be the aggressor. And that, you know, that was what, circling back to referees, you know, that was what, what Jeff Jones used to say about the referees is they're going to favor the aggressor. If one team comes out and establishes themselves as the aggressor, they're going to get the benefit from the referees, the benefit of the sure. doubt and stuff like that. And I think that happens a lot of times. We let the other team be the aggressor. And we need to go out there and, and be the one that's going to jump on your back and, you know, sink our teeth into the back of your neck and ride you down and give a good shake and break your neck. And a lot of times we don't do that. We just kind of run along and nip at your heels. And Well, you know, and some of that starts from the top. I mean, you ever heard the phrase, you know, Tony Bennett's working the officials? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's not to say that he's passive or quiet on the, on the sideline, but he's not, he doesn't, you know, he's not one of the players, you know, coaches who goes running into the refs and no, he, know, he doesn't. But I, I think it's a myth that Tony doesn't get after the refs because he sure does. And he is a competitive sob and and well, I know that I, I and hard nose denying that he isn't, but but I, I know I haven't. Good. You know, there's a, he, he there is that fundamental niceness to him and and decency and courtesy and you know he's definitely not Shashevsky with the refs but he's intense he gets intense and he and and that he's just he's got a team of nice kids he's got a family <laughs> he's got a family culture and a team of nice kids and you know with, with that you're gonna have sometimes that you know the that's the downside you're gonna have some aggression deficits at times well, and you know what? I'll take it. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, absolutely. I would, I, I would rather, I would rather have that than a bunch of, you know, Grayson Allen's, you know, running around on the team. So, and Gerald Henderson. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not to not to be critical of of Bennett for that particular thing, right. but I don't, I don't see him really working refs much. And and again, it, uh, I respect him for that, but I would not say that I've seen it. I mean, I don't look at it much, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I've definitely seen him. He, he's, he now and then he gets pissed off, and you'll see him yelling, and you'll see him. He'll he'll, he'll tell the refs what he thinks. But like I said, he's not doing it like Shevsky. He's not, you know, you know, he 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 does it in a much, yeah. But anyway, um, you know, one of the other positives of of you know that is, I think that's one of the reasons that our guys are so resilient. Because you don't want to get you don't want to get too intense. You don't want to get too fired up. You don't want to get too, you know, emotional. You don't want to. You don't want the big ups because sure. the big ups also bring the big downs. You want to be 
you want to have some detachment because you need to be able to think and and analyze and and have good reactions. And when you're in a red haze, oh, sure. you, know, you lose and, all that. So you know, I think overall you know, three, it helps. Three out of four games, you know, from the last two years, Chris Mack has you know sort of gift wrapped us, right. you know, wins by you know really really stupid technicals. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I've never bought this. The coach gets a tee and the team starts playing harder. Um, it does you sometimes. Know, Look, he sometimes, but I, but I the think game he that we lost like, to them last year, the technical foul that he got turned that game. The, the referee okay, changed; okay. it pivoted on that very moment. It sometimes okay, I have to go back and look at my notes. I don't remember that, but okay. Sometimes it does, but usually those are those are the technicals that a coach gets strategically. Like, um, John Calipari will do that sometimes. He will strategically get a technical. I, I did it once in a game uh, game I was coaching the, with the teenagers. I turned to my assistant coach. I said, you're going to have to finish this one. And I went off and I did my thing because my star player was getting – he was going to get hurt. I mean, and the ref wasn't calling anything. Well, okay. So I was like, you know. Um, so occasionally, but – the technicals that Chris Mack is generally getting, I agree. Just that one, that one worked out in his favor. The other ones have definitely not. So, uh, what's your prognosis for the uh, Georgia Tech game? Again, I'm concerned about it. I, I think, you know, we have to expect they're going to come out with great energy. Um, Alvarado is going to be all over the place. The guy is a steel machine. We have to be way more um, sure with the ball and careful with our passes. And um, I think, you know, we, we've, in a couple of games, had a little loss of composure under the pressure in the backcourt, the, the pressure on our guards, which has caused us to kind of make bailout passes instead of attacking passes. Look, if you're going to get the ball picked off by the other team, get it picked off underneath the basket because you're Absolutely. trying to throw it down to the baseline. Don't get it picked off trying to just throw it to your big man in the middle of the floor. So we need to watch out for that. Um, we're going to need we're going to need some you know Hauser who's scoring in the post. We're going to have to play a good game. I think it's going to be close. I'm not gonna pick a winner this time. I, I look. I, I I tweeted before the game Saturday that I would take the points because Pitt was getting 11 points. I was like, take the points. That was my lock of the day. Take the points. There was no way that was going to be an 11 point game. Right. Feel the same about this. I don't know how many points. I, I can probably tell you. Let's see. Ken Palm right now. All right, Canpom has it as a four-point game, sixty-six to sixty-two UVA, the winner with sixty-four percent confidence. So that looks good to me. That's about what I expect. Um, where it's anybody's game, it's going to come down to who executes the best in the last couple of minutes. And uh, I, I will say, if we're down the way we were. If you know we come to ten minutes and we're down by like eleven points, I don't think we're winning that game. Not in their gym. Right. Conversely, if All we're right. up by eleven, 
It ain't over. Right. And I hope everybody pays enough attention to this game and doesn't get caught up looking ahead to North Carolina, Florida State, Duke. Because those are three big ones, obviously. But, you know, Georgia Tech is uh, they're right up in there in the conference well, this year. They're way too good to overlook. Yeah, and they do, are. And underestimate. They are. Um, but, you know, generally – that's the strength of a Bennett team. I mean, we don't drop a ton of games to to, to teams below us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's why he's got the the best record of pretty much by far of anybody in the ACC the last you know seven years. You yeah. know that peak Bennett era. And he'll be driving you know, them. So. He's going to be driving them in practice because he wasn't. He was not satisfied with their effort on Saturday. You could see that in the. And he, he actually kind of came out and said it. He's like, you're grateful for the win, and it's, it's good to – it's better to have, you know, to have these lessons in a win than in a loss. But there was a lot that he wasn't happy with. So I, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see um, – he, he's definitely going to want to have them be more focused and more um, – so those are the things that we're talking about. Right. So then we'll go ahead, though, and look ahead at UNC. What are your first thoughts about UNC? My first thoughts about UNC are that um, I haven't, you know, I've watched them a lot, and I think they, it's, I think they're, they should be better than they are. Like, they, you know, that game with Duke, a couple times they were in a verge of blowing Duke out, and, and they weren't able to finish it off. It's going to be their backcourt. Because you know, well, Dayron Sharp is a monster. Armando Baycott has really improved this year. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a lot better than I thought he would be. I mean, obviously a ton of talent. Yeah, obviously a ton of talent in that backcourt. But, you know, what we all said at the beginning of the year, you know, at his place when we were doing the previews is, you know, they're all freshmen. Mm-hmm. So they are going to be up and down. And it's going to be their first time running up against a Bennett team. Freshman guards, you know, it it can be a shock. But again, you know, the backcourt is a weakness of our team. So Caleb Love, very talented. Walt Kerwin Walton, a very good shooter. If, you know, if we lose track of him, like we lost track of Hunter Couture, um, you know, that's, he's going to nail those shots. We cannot let them. We cannot let Carolina hit more than thirty percent of their threes, because they're going to get their right. offensive rebounds. They're going to get their points inside. You know, we still our interior defense is still um, questionable. They've got a lot of guys they can throw at Jay, so we have to watch out for fouls there. But um, I, you know, I'll definitely have a lot more for this. A lot more thoughts on Saturday morning. 9 a.m. Eastern Time for the Wahoo Wake Up UNC edition. All right. Any last thoughts? Last thoughts? Uh, not really. It just, you know, it's, it's just really happy to be watching basketball. Um, there are some great moments in that game. That, you know, we've talked about old Tensite hitting back-to-back threes a couple times. You know, let's shout out Jay Huff and, and Sam Hauser hitting back-to-back threes each in that stretch that took a tie game and gave us a 16-point lead. That was those two guys. Mm-hmm. You know? And 
as much as the defense struggled during that stretch, we locked them down. So that we did. And, uh, so, all right. So will you be doing Wahoo wake up on Wednesday for the Georgia tech game? Maybe, uh, it's going to be difficult for me. So, uh, it'll be a bonus if, if it happens. I, I, I won't really know. His work's been, okay. works been kind this of, darn pesky thing called work. Yeah. Know? It's been so. beating up on me lately. So I, during the week, I'm kind of not in a mood. But, of course, last week, Saturday game left me not wanting to think about basketball. So, But this time it's different. So, Okay. So I think that's it for tonight. That is it for tonight. Episode. Go ahead. That is it for tonight. I agree. So, everybody, all right. hope you all enjoyed it as much so, as I did. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We you know, hope you'll uh, catch the game on uh, Wednesday night. I guess that's going to be on the... ACC network, and then you know, as we get the big three of UNC, Florida State, and and Duke, you know, those are all going to be gobbled up by ESPN. So, of course, Duke's number eight are still in the conference right now. They're at five and five. They're yeah. not even a tournament team right now. But hey, you know, well, of course not. They've got it's great players <laughs> who can on any given night can just out talent you. So they have, they have to be treated as a top team, even if they aren't. Because they have the best players, so right. We'll we'll talk more about them later. All right, all right. Wahoo, everybody. Wahoo.